Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, founder of InsideOutside.io, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat to the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, and as always, we have another extraordinary guest. Today with me is Alain Sylvan with Sylvan Labs. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You've been doing quite a bit of work in innovation and marketing design. You've worked with companies like Google and American Express and Airbnb, and the list goes on and on and on. And you've been very outwardly spoken about this topic of innovation, so I wanted to have you on the show. To start off, why don't we tell the audience a little bit about your company and, and your background and how you got into this world of innovation? Thanks for asking and thanks for having me. Sylvain Labs is a strategy and design consulting company where we help companies think about the future of their products and brands. So that's largely through this lens of innovation, helping companies think about what innovation means for them, whether that means developing new product ideas for them or helping them understand how to apply a culture of innovation to their organization. It's a niche form of management consulting. You know, IDEO is probably the best known of a company like that. Big management consulting companies are providing this as well. I got into it because I worked a lot in the creative agency world. I was sort of a strategy person or a business person in the creative agency land. And it was great for me because I loved working in a creative environment and I was able to leverage what it was I was good at, which was a little bit more of the strategy stuff. And after a while, I realized there was a bit of a white space in between the two worlds. And so Sylvain Labs is really designed to be creative and business or rigorous oriented. So that's what we do. We bring a, a level of creativity to traditionally very big, complex business problems. And the most obvious place is innovation. How do we create and invent new ideas that solve for very clear business dynamics and consumer needs? And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on, because you think a little bit differently than a lot of folks out there when it comes to innovation, especially in the marketing design space, I know you're doing a talk coming up here at the next web and then at Collision in Toronto. But one of the topics you talk about is this fetishization of innovation. The idea is that this word innovation is non-existent or it's too existent and it's coming up with a lot of different ideas and things around it. And so it's become virtually worthless as a word. Talk a little bit about that particular topic and what you've learned in that space. Sure. And you're a great person to talk to because you've been talking about innovation for, you said it was a four-year anniversary. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. And so you've probably seen how the term innovation has evolved over the years, you know, past four years and even beyond that. I argue that the term innovation has really been rendered somewhat meaningless. Yes. But it's true. The term has become a bit of a cliche and you can feel and see the eyes rolling when people use the word innovation. It's been businessized. It's been corrupted in the way that the term diversity has or design has, or even now we're seeing empathy being used in business circles. And it's just interesting how language evolves and corporate America or, or the corporation has a way to seize upon these terms and use them over and over and over again, where they begin to lose any real meaning. Today, when people talk about innovation, they're talking about new products, which is a bit of, about how I see it. They're also talking about agile culture. They're talking about a spirit of invention. They're talking about technology. Innovation is now a bit of a catch-all. It's unfortunate because the power of innovation, the idea of really evolving to another state of quality or efficacy, 
is ever important. You know, that is obviously really important. It's just unfortunate that the term has been corrupted. Now, what's interesting about it is that we've fetishized the idea. We relate to innovation in a way like we've celebrified it. We build it up to be this mm. nuanced thing that only certain people can achieve. And right. you look at Elon Musk as sort of a the ultimate god of innovation. And it's all part of this fetishization, this weird obsession we have with innovation that we treat it a lot like we might treat porn or something like that. We're in awe of it. We gawk at innovation. We gawk at Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes. And sometimes that's at the risk or in spite of anything really substantive there. So that's what my talk is about. It's about how we built up innovation as a culture and sometimes forget what it really means. And what I try to do at the end of the talk is sort of redefine it and give us some uh, like a code uh, behaving so we stay true to it. Yeah, it's pretty amazing when you have to go into a company and I've done this a number of times. And when you're talking to a senior management group, the first thing you have to do is kind of have them define what that term means. So if get a level stake on how does that apply across the organization and, you know, whether it's three horizons of innovation and, you know, how close to the core or transformational or like you were mentioning, kind of the creation of new products and that, this idea that innovation exists everywhere. From what I've seen, a lot of folks, like you said, are thinking of innovation as something that's either outside or done by somebody else. So they throw innovation over the fence to the innovation lab or to a third party to kind of create when in reality that rarely works. Hey listeners, I wanted to pause this interview for an exciting new announcement. We are bringing back the Inside Outside Innovation Summit right here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Mark your calendars for October 20th through the 22nd. Tickets are on sale at biosummit.com. We are going to have experts from the world of Disney, Facebook, American Express, Nike. All these folks are coming together to talk about innovation, disruption, startups, and the world that we live in today. Check it out at theiosummit.com, and we'll see you in October. Yeah, you know what's really funny is um, we have a lot of big clients, like you mentioned, a lot of big corporations, and a lot of those clients work in just those groups you're talking about, those innovation labs, or you know, they all have the word labs, as does my company. It's just it's just <laughs> another another term that may have been corrupted, but a big company like Samsung has like the Samsung accelerator or the Samsung labs that is meant to take the bigger corporation into new innovative territory. What's interesting is those same groups are looking to outsiders to provide that help, that innovation help. So they're going to innovation consultancies. Yep. And so it's pretty interesting that this can is being kicked down the hill, but it's kind of being passed over <laughs> yeah. and over and over again. And, you know, ultimately companies are outsourcing their spirit of innovation. And I, I don't know what that means for, you know, the significance of the corporation in 2019. Yeah. It's almost like you have to get back to the core of what is innovation. And part of it is the creation of new value. And that really can be done anywhere within an organization. You know, the frontline person who figures out some efficient way to save 15 minutes of time across the organization can save millions of dollars. And that in my mind is innovation, but it's not oftentimes thought of it like that. And a lot of the times I think of innovation from an outside perspective, because you think of startups and you think of this new creation that's going on outside your walls versus what could be actually done within the organization as well. Talk a little bit about what are some of the things that you've seen that are good practices or bad practices in the world of innovation from some of the companies you work with or the things that you've seen out there in the world? Yeah, I've got a few things top of mind when you ask that question. You know, we have a client right now. It's a big multinational corporation who's basically come to us and they said, we want to be more sprint-like and agile. Mm -hmm. We want to be able to turn around innovation concepts in a really quick amount of time, two to three weeks. 
can you do that for us? You know, someone read a book or something, right, or, right. you know, written Google, Google sprint book or something. And, you know, I, I believe in that practice. I think it's possible. The sprint is possible to move quickly and land on transformative ideas for a corporation. I think that can happen quickly, but it can't happen realistically given the confines of a huge modern corporate complex industrial organization. So our client, which has offices all over the world, is a manufacturing company. You know, they work with many, many different stakeholders. It's a public company. Their process is just not going to allow for that sort of swift mm -hmm. work. It's just not natural. So one big issue I see are companies trying to approach innovation in a way that's not endemic to who they really are or what they can be, or they can do. And again, it's like building up innovation and, and saying, I want a piece of that, as opposed to looking a little bit more intrinsically and thinking, how does this organization change to be more modern in that way? Mm -hmm. And that would have been a better brief for us. A better brief from that client is instead of asking us for transformative ideas in three weeks, how can we help that organization truly behave at this pace of innovation? I don't know if you've seen that, but that's one big negative aspect of, of the innovation work we see. There is this idea of thinking the wrong way about design. I mean, I think a lot of companies think design is a, a step further down the chain that you bring in design for innovation to help pretty a concept or something like that. When I right. think the designer's mindset is much more valuable earlier on and at the center of a particular project. So that also requires some education on the part of our clients. So you mentioned a lot of the constraints that big companies have around this particular area. How important do you feel that a company to actually succeed at this, is it to look outside, to look at startups, to look at different ways that other companies are maybe approaching similar types of problems in their industry or in that versus trying to understand and mold it internally first? Right. I think it's important to look beyond the company's walls and learn from the outside and look for external points of view. I don't think the alternative, which is to close doors and really do innovation in a silo, I don't believe that will truly get something game-changing across the board. There are companies that get a lot of attention because they're so secretive and because they do a lot of innovation behind closed doors. Amazon is a great example of this. Amazon doesn't really outsource much of their innovation work. Right. They're very well known for being very progressive through drone delivery and, and that sort of thing. But it's false to think that they're not looking outside their walls. Right. I think they still rely heavily on things that are happening in other industries to inform innovation. I think innovation requires a really promiscuous relationship with information around the world in order to be successful. You know, even companies like Apple, again, that's known for being somewhat secretive. When you get in that organization, you learn that in fact, a lot of their innovations come from things they see elsewhere. And so all the credit we get to the iPhone is of course, largely due to the success of Android and Samsung and so on. I think that's a myth that innovation needs to be in closed quarters. Right. I think a lot of it also has to do with some of the companies that you refer to, whether it's Amazon or Apple, have that founder's mindset and have somehow maintained that even when they've grown and scaled. You know, Jeff Bezos talking about it's always day one at Amazon. The fact that day two is this <laughs> long journey into nothingness. And so you always have to be thinking about it being day one and what's new and what's exciting around it. It's interesting to see how some of those companies like the Googles or the Amazons of the world seem to have more of a founder mindset than a corporate mindset, if that makes sense. It does. And I think that's a really interesting um, point to bring up. You know, how important is the founder's mindset to innovation is a big question we think a lot about. Technology, where a lot of these uh, CEOs are actually 
founding engineers, it's obviously very important. But other categories that might not be the case, where maybe the founder is trying to channel the experience of the end user more than of the founder, him or herself. A good example of that is Yvonne Chouinard at Patagonia. I love that company and they were a client of ours many years ago. They do really progressive, impressive work that moves culture and moves that category of, uh, call it outdoor sports. Mm -hmm. And it comes from the founder, but not as a technical research or engineering person. It comes as from the founder from much more of a cultural point of view. He's projecting the point of view of the end user and of his fellow cohorts. You know, he lives and breathes the life of someone who appreciates the outdoors. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to think how the founder influences innovation. It could be tied more towards technical aspects or rather to the experience of the end user. How much of this ability for an organization to get this innovation mojo going is about the C-suite or top-down management understanding the why and delivering that down to the people, so to speak, versus individuals within an organization being able to create some of these innovative opportunities within an organization? Right. I think it's both. You need intrepid entrepreneurs that are looking to, to change the status quo as much as you need really clear direction and leadership from the C-suite. What I find is those two things are easy to come by, if I can say that. You know, it's, it's not unusual to find a CEO that has a really broad vision and inspiring point of view mm-hmm. on what the power of innovation is. It's not unusual for us to bump into rogue entrepreneurs within the organization that are pushing an agenda that's a little bit foreign to the organization. What I think is the issue is that there's a really low appetite for risk in these corporations. Mm-hmm. And there's a fear culture that comes with proposing new innovative ideas that I think is the real enemy. To me, the easy part is the C-suite and the entrepreneur. It's really much more about, can you create a culture of innovation where all the ideas are truly valid and can kind of get pushed forward? Are you seeing any type of characteristics within the organizations of folks that either can learn this new methodology and, and new ways of thinking about innovation or people that in the organization that seem to be better at it than others? If you think about it, like the way I just described it around risk, there are some habits that you see successful companies exhibiting. So one, for example, is you create an open culture of ideas so that it's not about individual ownership and it's not about competitive ideas. It's really an open culture for ideas to, to grow and, and breathe. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you really believe that, you'll do things like we do at my company, which is you enable and allow people's side hustles to thrive. So if someone right. has a side business, it shouldn't be a secretive thing. This is something they can bring to work and we can enable. And as long as all of our interests are met, then it's all good. That openness, that appetite for ideas and an open culture of ideas, I think that's critical. That's a very positive behavior on the part of the organization to enable a culture of innovation. The acceptance of failure is also really important just to alleviate that fear culture. There are a lot of ways to go about that. You know, you can test ideas earlier. You can iterate more. How can you include a culture of failure in your process so that this fear dynamic goes away? Yeah, the idea of how do you de-risk things mm-hmm. and getting folks comfortable with the idea of we don't have to do things the way we used to and where the way we used to, it, it was maybe mounting up all this risk and then we build something and then we launch it and we'd hope that it works mm-hmm. versus now you can do different methodologies and you can build in such ways because technology costs are lower, the access to markets, all this stuff is is making it easier to build something and 
get it out there and test it in the marketplace that you couldn't necessarily do before. Mm-hmm. And so that idea of how do you create an environment that allows you to pull apart what's required to learn and then repackage it in such a way that you can learn fast and de-risk it as you move along is so vitally important. And one of the things I think is changing the way corporations and startups and that are evolving in the marketplace too. Agreed. You know, it's interesting that this concept of risk within the corporation is often self-inflicted. The risk there is not so much the risk of the failure in market, it's risk of failure internally or having a bad test or something like that. Yeah. I'm not going to get promoted. (laughs) I'm not going to get promoted when I think the only test is really of it in the market. You know, there's this great article or case study that was written and I can't remember who wrote it or when it was, but it was about the Mio. It's, it's one of these innovations where you drop a couple of drops in a glass of sparkling water and it sort of replicates a carbonated soft drink. It was tested at this organization for years and it failed every single time. You know, it was like, no one's going to want to do this. No one's going to carry a little pouch of flavor in their purse and then drop it in water and test after test, you know, focus groups and quant. And it was originally meant for Crystal Light. I don't know if you remember Crystal Light, yeah. the iced tea brand. It was tested over and over and over again, but there was a group internally that really fought for it and really saw beyond the research and saw that consumers didn't really understand it in a research environment. And internally, there were a lot of people were afraid of the risk there, but if you can get over it, it would be an interesting thing to put out in the market. And sure enough, they launched Mio and it did really well. And it's, it still does well. And it's so much so that it's bigger than Crystal Light. They ended up branding it separately as to not bring down Crystal Light. And it turns out it's more successful than Crystal Light. And all to say that that's the ultimate test is when you put it out in the marketplace. That's where the mindset should be with help alleviate some of that stress. Absolutely. So you, you've been traveling around quite a bit, talking at different places all around the world and that. What are some of the things that you're seeing that excite you? I think one thing that excites me is that there's a real appetite for information and for stimulation on new ideas, like a, a stimuli of new ideas. And when I speak or go places where people are speaking, you can just see people just want to know what's happening on the other side of the world or what's Mm -hmm. happening in this corner, in this industry that we know nothing about. And that's really exciting, this desperate interest in each other. And as an example, you know, we speak in Europe quite often. And what's funny about it is they just want to know what's happening here (laughs) in the US, you know, here we work with Airbnb and Google and they're like, what, how do those companies work? You know, tell us a good story from there. And that's the reason we get asked to speak in many places. And conversely, you know, how many times here do you love to hear a story about something that's happening around the world? You know, here's an interesting new invention that was created in the Ukraine or Tel Aviv or in Japan. It's sort of like candy for us to consume these concepts and these ideas that are very, very foreign. So that's what's really exciting is that there's an appetite for a real global approach to innovation and idea collaboration. I do fear that it's only a sort of a curiosity and not a real intentional commitment because, you know, it's a little bit of like, we'll talk for 20 minutes about what's happening at Google. And then in that 20 minutes, people will be amazed, but afterwards they'll kind of revert back to the same siloed approaches. I think a lot of it just has to do with, you have to continue to have the conversations and hopefully it eventually, you know, moves the needle. It's one of the reasons why we host our Inside Outside Innovation Summit here in the middle of Nebraska. I'm bringing folks from all around the world to have these conversations because I think it's vitally important to see different perspectives. If folks want to find out more about yourself or your company and that, what's the best way to do that? It's a sylvainlabs.com, S-Y-L-V-A-I-N-L-A-B-S.com. And we're in social and all that good stuff. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you being on Inside Outside Innovation today and I look forward to continuing the conversations in the years to come. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks for your time. 
That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Hardinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.